0: It's good to see everybody here. Good to see everybody that's watching online or on our other, at our other locations. Everybody in Florida, let all the other locations know that God is good in Florida and God is good there. Welcome them in with me. Come on, give them a hand. All right. Is this going to work or is this not going to work? I'm trying to get something done here. There. No, it's not going to work. We're almost there. There we go. Good morning. How does it feel to have a light on you for once? There we go. Oh, this is nice. I like this much better. Oh, there we go. Take it out of your eyes. I hold in my hand a flashlight, and I want to make a point on this flashlight today that is really illustrative of what we talked about last week at other locations, but this two weeks ago, if you were here in Apollo Beach, we talked about the gospel, and we talked about keeping the gospel clear. And and one of the main themes about the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is that the Bible is not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. That there is a message that God has spoken into the world. You know, the scripture says that in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome the light. Isn't that good? Yeah. And every person here that knows Jesus knows Jesus because of that message of light. But like this flashlight, the gospel oftentimes can get clouded. It can get distorted. It can get things in the way of the gospel. Sometimes sometimes the preacher can get in the way of the gospel. How many know what I'm talking about here? Sometimes we can get in the way of the gospel. And it is important that we understand that more than ever in our, in our, in history, we've got to keep the clarity of the gospel. Central to the church because the church is not built on a personality and the church is not built on buildings and the church is not built on denominations or laws or ordinances. The church is built on the message that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father, sent the Spirit, started the church, and is coming again. But here's the thing, and I don't want you guys to miss this from last week up at our other locations and here two weeks ago. It, it, the gospel might not be about us, but the gospel is for us. Somebody say, it's for me. It's for me. And, and when we keep it clear, it starts to shine on our lives and helps people to see us. When the gospel is clear, our lives shine. Amen. Amen. This is why Jesus said, let your light so shine. He's not talking about the light that I can produce. He's talking about the light that he produces in my life that my life is defined not by what I have produced or have achieved or what even I think of of myself. My life is eternally and permanently defined by God's love for me in Jesus Christ. And and here's the thing. The the thing about light is a light brings so much confidence. When you don't have light, there's just kind of like, it gets a little bit, nerve-wracking without light. We we, we think of darkness as having fun, but how many know when you're in darkness, you're enslaved. You're held back. You don't know where to go, where to walk, where to turn. You don't know what's next going to hit you, what's going to hurt you, but just a little bit of light gives you clarity. And here's what the gospel does. It sets you free to walk in victory through your life. And so while the gospel is not about us, the gospel is for us, and that through the light of Jesus shining on us, we can tell the world that there is a God who loves them and wants to change their lives and lead them in victory. Amen, somebody. Let's put up those lights in the house now. And I want you to take out your notes at all of our locations. They look like this. Take out your notes. I want to talk to you about freedom through the gospel. And we're going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And these messages on, on the gospel, these are foundational messages. We're not in a series right now. This is actually the last. We'll talk about this for a little bit. But, but these are foundational messages because we've got to know what the church is built on if we're going to build the church that Jesus is building. And so while we clarified the gospel a few weeks ago or last week at other locations, today we're going to talk about the benefits of the gospel. Here it is, freedom. Somebody say freedom. freedom. How many love Braveheart? How many love that story? Oh, when he paints his face blue and he rides across the field on the horse. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And everybody goes Crazy. Freedom is the heart of man to call out for freedom. But how many times we get mistaken for what freedom really is. And then we come into the church and we think, oh yes, God sets me free. But, but here's the deal. Freedom wants to go deeper than just the surfacey things that we do. God's freedom wants to go deep into the heart of you. What does God come to set us free from? So, so here's the foundation of the message. And then we'll, we'll read the scriptures and unpack it. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. If we keep the gospel clear in our minds, okay? If we keep the gospel clear, it's right on the top of your notes there. If we keep the gospel clear in our minds, it will set us free in our lives. It'll set us free in our lives. But so many times we are only looking for surfacy, um, action-oriented freedom. But I believe, and I think you know this intuitively, that who we are determines what we do. And more importantly, who we think we are determines what we do. And so in that vein, we're going to unpack why the gospel changes what we do by changing what we think we are. Stand with me in our locations. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 15. We read this a few weeks ago here. Last week up in the other locations, and I'm going to read it again. Now, verse 1 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the message that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing. First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, That he was buried, that he was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. Cephas is another name for Peter. He appeared to Peter and the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted, I'm sorry, he's unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love that line. I think we should all say it. One, two, three. I am what I am. Say it one more time. I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't useless. It didn't do nothing. He says, I, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that we have to gather around your word. Your word is a light to our feet. It is a lamp to the pathway of our lives, we ask that you shine through your word into our minds, into our hearts. Help us to see Jesus and also to see what he has made us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. What does the gospel set us free from? And that's what we're talking about today. Three things, and then we're done. I want, you to give, I want to give you three areas of freedom from the gospel. Number one from this passage, the gospel gives us freedom, write this down, from the identity trap. Freedom from the identity trap. This is huge for our culture right now, where people are trying to define themselves by almost anything, And when you don't have a proper definition of yourself, you'll fall for any definition of yourself. And this is what you're seeing on social media. This is what you're seeing on TikTok. This is what you're seeing on Instagram, where where people don't know who they are anymore. Back in, you know, 50 or 60 years ago, who you were, was defined by who your parents were. Like this is who I am. This is why we used to t- we take their names when we get married. The wife takes the man's name, and we talk about this is my family, my family tree. Even this past couple of generation, this past generation was seeking that identity through our ancestry. How many remember when we got into that huge thing about everybody's sending their spit in the mail? It's like no wonder why COVID broke out. Like seriously spit was flying everywhere. And we're like, tell me who I am. I want to know where my family comes from. And and that was what we used to believe. Then I think the modern world, the modern era, maybe about 30 or 40 years ago, brought this identity trap of you are what you do. Like you are what you perform. You are what you get. So you are in accordance to a class, you know, social economic class, or you, you're um, defined by your, uh, your income, your neighborhood, where you live. And, and, and so we chased and we chased, and, we, and a lot of people got it, and a lot of people got to the top of their profession or their lives where they got their preferred, you know, lifestyle, and, and then they realized that doesn't do it either. And it really doesn't do it at all. And so then the sexual revolution in the 1960s produced this, you know, kind of redefinition of everything to do with sex and marriage and identity. And and I know you see this is the problem right now with our young people where there's an increase, a, a substantial uptick, a rise in transgender identity crises, gender dysphoria. And really, we can rail about it or we can try to understand that there's a disease that's deeper than the external reality of that child. And really the disease is that child does not know who they are. And so in an attempt to make themselves who they are, they're falling for any definition. And I think it's like this. The loudest voice in our culture gets the most attention so often. That's why we need to amplify more than ever before the message of Jesus Christ that undermines every other identity that people or you want to put on your life. That the gospel undermines the identity that you are who your parents were. That might not necessarily be true, and you might not want to be who your parents were. Or that the message of what you get is who you are. Man, sometimes what you get is not what you expected it would be when you got it. And, and so the gospel doesn't define us on what we have and what we produce. And then, most importantly, the gospel does not define us on what we feel inside. Because again, I sometimes feel terrible about myself. And sometimes I feel guilt and shame and fear. But those things are temporary. The message of the gospel is eternal and unchanging and never ending that God loves me and sent his son to die for me and brought me into his family and now defines me according to his grace and not my world or my own preferences. That's the, that's the power of the gospel. It sets me free from seeking every identity and so many other things. And this is what Paul unpacks for us here in 1 Corinthians 15. What, what does he say when he's talking about his conversion experience? Actually, when he's talking about himself. And this is one of the things about Paul that you constantly see is that every time... Paul the Apostle talks about himself. He has no problem telling you that he's the worst. (laughs) He has no problem telling you that he's the last or the least or the most unworthy. Look look at the passage again, verse 8. He says, last of all, as to what, he's talking about when Jesus appeared to everybody after he rose again. He says, last of all, I was the last one that Jesus showed up to. I wasn't the first. I wasn't with the 12. I wasn't, like, third. I was last, and then he says this word, as one untimely born. Hey, let me just give you a little Greek word study of that word. It actually refers to miscarriage. It's the ancient Greek word for miscarriage. He's like, I'm like a miscarried baby. What is a miscarried baby? A miscarried baby, and forgive me if you've been through the pain of this. I don't mean to stir up any feelings, but let me just unpack what he's trying to tell you. It is what he's saying is, I didn't have the full privileges of, of full development like the rest of the apostles and followers of Jesus I was, I was not there. I didn't walk on the, I didn't, I wasn't on the boat when he walked in the water. I wasn't there when he raised the dead or healed the sick or cast out. De- I didn't see him do any of that stuff. I didn't have a chance to have that. I was untimely born. I was miscarried. And then, and then he says, verse nine, for I am the what? Next word, everybody. The least of the, I, just, I don't care about being important. Next word, unworthy to be called an apostle. I don't need to give you my resume. I don't need to defend my identity to you. It's not about that because I persecuted the church. I wasn't even seeking Jesus. He came and sought me and found me. And you know, listen, this is important for you to understand right now, especially in this generation, that when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you do not have to fight for your own identity and importance in this culture. The gospel sets you free from that the gospel sets you free from trying so hard to impress others trying so hard to put your best face forward like I don't know if you know this about some of the phones that are out today but they have the automatic face filter on did you know this the automatic face filter it takes away all of your grossness you know what I'm saying? It, it, it softens the light, and it makes your face look like you're 20 and no pimples. Like, seriously, like, everybody's dream. And you actually have to go into the settings, and you have to undo the face filter. You have to notch it down to zero. There's, like, several levels. It's, like, level one for, you know, people who are mildly attractive. Level eight for a lot of other people, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You know, a lot of central Floridians, if you know what I'm talking about. No, no, just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, you know, so so there's this face filter to kind of put this image forward that you're better than you really are. And that's our culture. That's our culture. Put your best foot forward. You know, uh, believe in yourself. Uh, Tell others what you have done. Brag about it. Post it. Storybook it. This This is what makes you. You. It's a search for identity. What Paul says is, once Jesus got a hold of me, that was eliminated. Go to Philippians 3 if you want to in your Bibles, but I'll just kind of give you the synopsis. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul's writing to another church, and he says, before I was in Christ, man, I was doing the best of everything. All of my peers. I was advancing in school beyond them. I was studying under the most important rabbi of the day. I was a Jew, but I wasn't just a Jew. I was a tribe of Benjamin Jew. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin is where the first king of Israel came from. His name was Saul. Interesting, Paul's name was Saul before Christ. And, 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 and there's a de- definition of Saul's life that he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And so Paul, who was Saul, was trying to live up in reputation and in in presentation to what Saul represented in the ancient world, he was trying to do in his generation. He was trying to be the best, trying to be important, trying to have everybody look up to him. And he says, but the moment that I met Christ, all of that stuff, reputation, image, importance, putting myself up there, advancing beyond everybody else, all that stuff became rubbish compared to knowing that the God of the universe loved me and saved me. And that's how you know, like, that's how you know the gospel is clear. Because the gospel comes and wipes out all the stupid things that you think make you who you are. And it defines you by what God has done for you. I'm defined not by what I've produced, but but, but, but but by what God has produced for me. It brings humility. Now, on the surface, it looks like Paul is just doing Charlie Brown humility here. You know Charlie Brown? Remember Charlie Brown? Very famous statement from Charlie Brown. Uh, Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. Like, that's Charlie Brown humility, right? Or Jan Brady humility. How many remember Jan Brady? Brady Bunch, anybody? Man, some of you people got to get educated on good television. Watch yourself, the Brady Bunch, amen. Here's the story of a lovely lady, right? All right, so three boys, three girls. And the middle girl's name was Jan. Jan. But she was famous for one famous three-word phrase. It was the same word. It was actually a name. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. The name of her older sisters. Everything was about Marsha. So Jan Brady humility. And there's a lot of Christians. That's, they think that humility is putting themselves down. I'm nobody. I'm worthless. I'm a nothing. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not appropriate humility for you. Because you're not nothing. You're, you're the purchased possession of God. You're you're not a nobody. You are now named by your Father in heaven. Did you know Revelation says that God's going to give you a name that no one else knows? At the last day, at the resurrection of the righteous, he's going to give you a new name. So if you don't like your present name, good news. God's got a new name going for you when you get a new body. Hallelujah. He knows you. He's going to name you. He's going to identify you. Here's what appropriate humility is. I want you to write this down. Appropriate humility... Embraces the place God put you and the timing of God choosing you. Like, this is what humility, this is what Paul's saying. I I was the last, I'm unworthy, I didn't walk with Jesus, I persecuted the church. And here's the deal I can embrace that. I can embrace what I'm not in light of what other people are because I know that even if I seemed to be these things, God had a reason for it. God had a purpose for where and when he put his hand on you. God had an idea of what he wanted for you before you even knew you wanted him. And some of you, this is so important because you got to let go of the past that you define yourselves by. You gotta let it go. You gotta stop saying, I wish I never went those places. I wish I, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people, and they say, I wish I never went into the bar that night that led to that thing that got me into this mess. And they define themselves by that one thing, that one moment, and they are always looking over their shoulder at their past, thinking, Could I, could I just go and do it over again? Could I go and undo it? Could I not have this life? And Paul's like, That doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter because here's what God has an awesome way of doing. He uses the things of our past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to produce something beautiful for the sake of Jesus. Some of you got to look at your past, you got to say, thank God he brought me through that and he brought me to where I am. I got a guy up at our North Attleboro location. The first time I ever met him was in prison. I went to the prisons, I still do, and I went and I preached, and this guy came up to me. He was actually running the chapel, but he was a prisoner. And I said, when you are out of here, come to my church. And he's like, I don't know if I'm worthy. I said, it's not about what you know. It's not about what you think about you. It's about what God has done for you. you got to come. He came. He started serving. He found a girl. He's getting married to the girl. He's serving in the church. He's going to be part of our leadership program, hopefully one day. And, oh, by the way, he's in the divinity program of Harvard University right now. And he's going through education to better himself and know the Lord more. And one day, maybe he might be preaching to you. But that's the power of the gospel. And I said to him, God's going to take all that stuff that you think was worthless. He's going to repackage it and reuse it. You know who God is? He's your grandma who uses the leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner to make into a casserole that's better than the Thanksgiving dinner. Hallelujah! That's who God is. He takes the chicken leftovers and the stuffing leftovers and the potatoes, and he puts it all into one pot and then he puts the the onion strings on top. How many know you got to have some onion string? Puts it in the oven. In the oven of His grace, it comes out and it's a blessing to everybody. Some of you got to give. Some of you got to give your broccoli to God. Hallelujah. You got to give your leftover mashed potatoes to God. You got to say, God, just take it. Make it what you want it to be. I want you to write this down. You don't have to be saved long to be used greatly. Paul's saying, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle, but, but it's the grace of God. I'm not worthy to be up here today to preach to you, but it's the grace of God. Some of you, man, this is why you don't serve in our church, because you don't think, I'm not good enough. Well, no duh, dummy. That's why Jesus died for you, because he knew you weren't good enough. And he's going to take people who aren't good enough to glorify his name. In fact, he specializes in doing that, which leads me to point number two. Write this down. The gospel gives you freedom from the performance trap. So the identity trap, who I am, but the performance trap, what I do and how I do it. The performance trap is huge today. It swallows us up in a never-ending cycle of trying to accomplish things that we can look at and say, that's what I am now. Look at the house I've built. Look at the family I've uh, raised. Look at the children that I have. Look at the pastors do this all the time. Look at the church that I'm building. Or, or, Or look at my looks. Or look at my outside. The performance trap. Always trying to keep up. With the Joneses, keep up with others. And the performance trap puts you on the, the never-ending hamster wheel of life. It never stops. You just run, 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 and it just never stops. And anybody ever get to that point where you're like, man, another day of doing the same thing? Another day of just trying my best and put my best foot forward and make people think I'm better than I really am? And Paul's like, that, that's, that's not what God wants for you. Here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to rest in the grace of God which is his performance for you. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said seven things, but one of the last things that he said was, it is finished. It is fi-. The work, the performance, to make you what he wants you to be, is done. Completed. Paid in full. Tetelestai in the Greek. You are, you are, you're, 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 your works are responsive from that they are not determinative to get that. In other words, you rest in his finished work and work from that. God's eternal grace toward you. What would your life look like if if you knew that God could never love you more than he does right now or less than he does right now? What, What would your life look like if you really internalized that? God loves me as much as he's ever going to love me. I mean, I'm so glad that you're at church right now, but can I tell you, it's not like God is like, no, I really love them. Wow, look at, they showed up at church. Like, wow, good for them. God's not like us, amen. He, he doesn't measure our value on what we have performed. He, he measures his love for us on who he is because he is eternal love. performance trap sports illustrated put on the cover in 2015 a woman athlete whose name you probably know her name was Ronda Rousey she was an MMA fighter she was uh, the youngest woman ever to win the gold medal in judo in the olympics up until november of 2015 she had an undefeated record in the uh, uh, in the UFC women's division but in november of 2015 she got beat And she got beat bad. Every fight she'd ever been in up to that moment lasted like seconds. She was the Mike Tyson of women's UFC, right? But then she lost. And in an interview with uh, Sports Illustrated, she says shortly after that loss, she said to herself, she said, I was literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. And at that exact second, I thought, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? No one cares about me anymore without this, end quote. What is that? That's the performance trap. That's the people only will love me if I do this. And the gospel comes to set you free from that. If you don't get this freedom, you'll try and fail, and then that's where the addictions start to come in. You'll try to accumulate and achieve and think I've got this. I'm I look like this. But the moment that you have a breakdown or a failure. You might turn to the bottle, you might turn to the drug, you might turn to the whatever to soothe the pain from the disappointment of your not performing how you feel like you should have performed. You see how the gospel goes deeper than just what we do? It goes deeper than just what we think. It shapes how we feel about ourselves. Paul says this in verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than anyone. Now, now it looks like Paul's bragging here. Like, okay, Paul, yeah, we get it. You did great. You do awesome. No, no, he says, I worked harder than them all, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is with me. Amen. What I do is God's grace working through me, <laughs> And this is so important for you to get so that you understand what happens in the power of the gospel is that it's not just God's ability to forgive you of your sin. It's God's power that comes within and fuels everything in your life so that you can look at your life and say, that was God's grace. Every good thing in my life is God's grace working through me. And, and, and so, so when, when you get to that point, where you're like, I don't deserve this in my life. Why is God? It's his grace. And this should redefine so much for you about grace. Again, not just his ability to forgive you. <laughs> that's, that's just half the deal. His ability to fuel you, to empower you. So write this down so I know you're getting it. The gospel empowers and assigns. The gospel empowers us to do what what he wants us to do, and then it assigns us to the things that he's assigned us to do. And some of you need to hear this. Every single person listening to me, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a a divine assignment right now. You do. You do. Just everybody turn to your neighbor and say, yep, even you. Okay, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Every single person who's born again of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, has an assignment. I give you, for uh, Romans 12, 3, for by the grace given to me, Paul's saying, uh, God's grace is helping me say this. I say to you, don't think of yourself any more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has, what's the word, everybody? Assigned, right? And then he says, as for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. In verse 6, having gifts that differ Next words, according to the grace, you have a gift. I I love the fact that he's like, some of you have gifts. No, no, everyone has a gift. Every Christian has a gift. What we have to do is we have to stop with the flashlight gifts. And what I mean by that is the gifts that are like on the stage. I thank God for the stage ministry of the church, but it's just one of the many gifts that God has given to the church I thank God for worship leaders and singers and musicians and all that kind of stuff thank God for preachers amen that was your chance and you failed okay anyway but I thank God for the people who are teaching our kids right now that they matter to God that's a gift how many know you need extra grace to do that gift praise Jesus I mean, how, how many of you are thankful for the gift of the guy who can build a business and, and employ others and then run that business according to scripture amen. and not just chasing the almighty dollar, right? I think we need more Christian CEOs, amen? I, I thank God for the gifts of people who can go into public schools today and teach and not fall for all the indoctrination and nonsense, but stand in the gap and maybe for just a few kids to see that there's another way to live that Jesus defines and not the world. Like, I thank God for that gift. That's the gifts that God has given to the church. I thank God for people, men and women, who can stay home and raise children and tell them that they love them and raise them to fear the Lord. Like, that's a powerful gift. And this is why Paul says, having gifts that differ. Your gift is not my gift. My gift is not yours. It's okay, but it's the gift that God has given me through his grace. He said, I don't know if I have a gift. I'm telling you, you have a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace. Again, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Let each one take care of how he builds. In other words, I only did what I did, Paul says, because of the grace that God poured upon my life. We're in 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But if you back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells about when he first came to the church in ancient Corinth. He says in verse 3, he says, I was with you in fear and trembling, in weakness. This is Paul the apostle. He's like, I showed up at your church. I showed up at your city, but there was no church yet. (laughs) He said, I showed up at your city, and I was scared, and I was weak, and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, can you see the apostle? You would think about the apostle Paul, this mighty man of God. And he goes to Corinth and he's like, I don't know. I don't, ah, I'm scared. Like, yeah, what, what happened? Well, he had just come from Athens. It's actually recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. He goes to the city of Ath- ancient Athens. And ancient Athens was like the, the Boston, like New York, intellectual capital of the ancient world. In fact, the Bible says that at Athens, all they did was talk about philosophies all day. And so Paul goes into the city of Athens, and he's kind of like, probably he's got his chest out, because he just came out of the nice growing church in Thessalonica, and he's got his chest out. He goes in there, he's like, let me tell you about the unknown God. And he starts to preach, and then he starts to do some fancy quoting, like he quotes from their philosophers. And he says, you know, your own writers say this, in him we live and move and have our being, and and we are all his offspring, and he, he preaches this very intellectual, philosophical message. And you know what the Bible says the people in Athens did? They laughed at him. They were like, this guy, what is this babbler trying to say? That's literally what they said about Paul. So he left. The scripture says that no church was planted in Athens. And then the next city that he goes to is Corinth. And so you can imagine on the heels of that terrible event in Athens, he gets to Corinth and he's like, I don't know if I got it anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And he, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And then he says, and I resolve to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to impress you. I'm not going to try to philosophize. I'm not going to try to sign, sound high-minded. I'm going to tell you about a Jewish carpenter named Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again under the Roman Empire, and he's alive forever, and he wants to give you new and eternal life. And a church was born immediately. Like, people came to hear that message. And and what Paul is saying is, like, it wasn't what I thought would work that worked. It wasn't what I brought to the table. It wasn't my gifts and my knowledge and my ideas. It was all God. Like, that's the grace of God empowering you in even your own weaknesses. Because he says in the next verse, let's put it up there, verse 4, My speech, my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but in the power of God. Can I tell you that God can grace gift even the weakest parts of you? He can empower the areas where you think you don't got it. This is good news for the ungifted, amen. (laughs) You're looking at a guy who absolutely hated English class. Hated it. I was terrible at English. Math, loved it. I was in trigonometry and uh, the other ones that I forgot about, you know, all those other classes. And uh, I was, I nailed it. In fact, you are looking, I I don't like to brag. But you are looking at my high school's 1994 math league captain. Hello. Amen. I was captain... Of the math league. Yes, I was that much of a dork. That's right, yes. No sports, just math league. Um, Anyway, so, you know, I thought, you know, I'm aiming at, you know, uh, engineering or something, programming, something with numbers. That's my gift. That's what I am naturally gifted to do. And God has a sense of humor. Like, this is my ministry. This is my life. This is my career. This is my calling. And what I do right now is... The very opposite of everything math-oriented. <laughs> like I hated English class. I hated researching papers. I hated writing. I hated sentence structure. I hated all those things. And and this job, that's all those things. <laughs> like every you know what a mess, you know what a sermon is? A sermon is the pastor prepared a paper all week, researched it. Put the sentences together. Put the sent- this, you know, examine the sentence structure of the words in the language—not English language, the Greek language. So it's got not just got a sentence structure an English sentence. I got to go back and sentence structure a Greek or Hebrew sentence, and then try to unpack that orderly for you. So that I'm telling you what this book says. What I'm trying to tell you is everything that I hated and I didn't have ability to do, God supernaturally empowered me to do because he takes pleasure in using the weak areas of your life to bring glory to the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he does. So it really does just kind of take the pressure off of you. His strength, the Bible says, is made perfect where... In weakness. I don't know about you, but I like that one. His strength is made perfect where I'm not perfect. And then God's grace assigns, and I love what John the Baptist does in John chapter 3. Because in John chapter 3, you know, the forerunner to Jesus' ministry was guiding John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had this huge church. The scripture says in John chapter 1 that all of the Judean countryside came to hear John speak. He was that compelling of a preacher. I mean, you're doing really well if everyone comes to hear you speak. And uh, then there came a day where Jesus started his ministry. And John actually had baptized Jesus, right? And Jesus starts his ministry, and people start leaving John's church to join Jesus' church. Like, the John First Baptist congregation goes and follows the first church of Jesus, like, And appropriately so, okay? But some people in John's church come to him and say, hey, uh, John, I don't know if you heard, but you know that upstart Nazarene carpenter you baptized? Uh, He started a church, and uh, everybody is leaving your church and going to his. And man, you gotta think about what would John say in that moment, and what does he say? He says, I told you I'm not the Christ. And he says this line, and I love it. He says, a man cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Amen. I love that statement. Some, some of you got to write that statement down and put it on your steering wheel or right below your computer's screen or wherever you work, put it on your, ta- your desk and just, just imbibe that spirit. I'm going to get today the things that heaven gives me. I'm going to receive the things that God has determined for me, which eliminates competition and chasing and measuring and comparing and saying, well, why them and not me? No, no, no. God has chosen to do that with them, and he's chosen to do this with me, and I will rejoice in what God gives me instead of obsessing over what God gives them. Come on, that'll set you free right there from the performance trap. Which brings me to number three. The gospel gives you freedom from the accomplishment trap. Oh, we go from identity to performance to accomplishment. So I perform so I can get. I perform so I can have. And I can look at my life and I can put my trophies on myself and say, look at this, look what I did. Salesperson of the year, 2018. You know, uh, employee of the month, you know, March 2019, whatever. And accomplishments are are our chase. and, And we think, okay, now what I have done now has determined who I am. But the gospel comes to set us free from that, too. And look at how Paul enunciates this in verse, 5, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So what is he saying? He's talking about the apostles. He's like, he just got done saying, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. I'm nothing like Peter. I'm nowhere close to being as cool as John was. I'm nothing like James. I'm just one of those outsiders that God brought inside by his grace and then he's talking to the church that he started. He's talking to the church that he began. And he says, but I gotta be honest with you, if it was, if it was Peter who brought you to Christ or it was John or James, whoever did it, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is Christ was preached and you believed. And now I'm leaving the results of my life in the hands of God. I'm letting him shine. Uh, Nothing will drive yourself crazier than measuring your impact. (laughs) Like, nothing. At some point, like, when you're young, you think, I'm going to accomplish all these things. And then you get to a point where you think, well, I've accomplished a few things. But then you see the young people coming up underneath you. And you're like, whoa, they might be better than me. (laughs) They might do greater than me. And then before you know it, you're thinking, did I even matter? Like you start measuring again. Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Did I did I accomplish enough? Did I and and before you know it, you're in the accomplishment trap. It but again, the message of Jesus was for you, but not about you. You're just a link in the chain. I'm a link in the chain of God's amazing grace. People came before me, people will come after me. It's not about me, it's about Him. And, 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 you know, as a pastor, too, we do this all the time. But Christians do this. And I can tell you about my, uh, only my stories because I'm intimately familiar with them. But I remember that when I was growing up in the church, it was a very legalistic Pentecostal church, very legalistic. And one of the legalisms, apart from all the things that we shouldn't do, like tons of things that we shouldn't do, but there was things that we should do in order for God to love us. And one of them was witness all the time to everybody. Like, that was the messaging of the church. If you're not telling other people about Jesus, you don't really love Jesus. That was the message that came across. And I remember one of the times I was, like, standing in front of my pastor. I don't know if this is, a, this is a, you know, spiritual abuse and all that kind of stuff, but he actually came up to me in front of everybody and said, do you, do you love our church, Tim? I'm saying, I love our church. Absolutely. He goes, then why don't you bring more friends to church? Like, in front of all my friends, I'm like, I'm like 15. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, you know. The, the message was, you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. You're not accomplishing enough. I kicked myself all through high school. All through high school. So I went to Bible college because I felt that the Lord had called me to ministry. So I went to Bible college and studied the Bible. Freshman year comes, and I get a letter from a girl that I, that I graduated high school with. She wanted to keep up with me. And I remember this girl, and I was, this is a girl that I asked to the prom, and she said no. So this was not a very smart girl. She wanted to keep up with me anyway. So I, I, I remember, like, this is my chance. Like, okay, I'm just going to unload on her about Jesus, and about following Jesus, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, I didn't do enough And in high going to tell you about Jesus, this was my letter to her, and so I'm going to tell you all about Jesus, he loves you, you need to say, and I even wrote down, I even wrote the Lord's prayer in the letter, I said, here, pray this prayer, dear Jesus, come into my life, be my, I mean, and, and signed Tim, put it in the mail, and I said, I will never hear from that girl again, and I got a letter about a month later, And I'll never forget that, man, this letter set me free. I opened it up, and she said, Tim, thank you so much for your letter. And I'm paraphrasing. I didn't keep it. Um, But she said, thank you so much for your letter. Everyone in high school knew that your faith was that important to you. And nothing that you said is new. And the fact that you never pushed it on us was what we liked best about you. Signed, and she said, you know, a couple other things, and that was the end of the letter. Set me free. I didn't I didn't have to perform. I didn't have to live up to that pastor's expectation that I wasn't doing enough to grow his church. I was saved by God's grace. And I was loved eternally. And nothing I do or don't do changes that. Period. Full stop. This is the sermon in the sentence. The gospel sets us free from foolish identities, endless rivalry, and meaningless measurements. We are who we are by His grace and not our works. I I don't know who needs to be set free today, but this is what the Lord wants to do in your life. He wants to let it you find your freedom fully and finally in Him. And if I'm doing my job, as I should, then this is all we should see today. Let's put the lights back down. This is all we should see. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? And I want to ask you, right where you are in this moment, do you know Jesus? Do you love him? Do you have a relationship with God through him? Because his message to you is fixed in the heavens. It's the power of God into salvation. He He so loved you that he sent his son to die for you so that if you believed in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. But the linchpin of this whole deal is you have to say yes to it. That's it. You have to say yes to it. Not your parents or your grandparents or what church you were raised in, you. So right where you are, I want to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus, right where you are, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, would you repeat after me? Say, Heavenly Father, today I surrender my life to you. I ask Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. I ask you, lead me, guide me. In Jesus' name.